Section 1 of Sunbeams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sunbeams by George W. Peck. The Dude and His Pajamas. As much as people talk about the dude and laugh at him and make fun of him, all must admit that we adopt fashions that he introduces after it has been demonstrated that they are a good thing. He is the pioneer in new fashions, and he stands the brunt of the battle of getting them before the public, and takes his medicine without a wry face, contented apparently at being the one who has been on the advance firing line. He successfully pioneered the tan shoe to popularity, the golf stockings, and short trousers, until many who laughed at him have adopted them and swear that they are all right. He has had more trouble in introducing pajamas than anything he has ever undertaken, but he is gradually getting there on pajamas, and to the observing man it is evident that the old-fashioned nightshirt has about reached its end. Pajamas consist of a light pair of loose trousers and a loose jacket that may be put on like a coat, instead of being put on over the head like a nightshirt, thus humiliating a man terribly. If the pajama had been introduced by the President of the United States, it would soon have become popular, but the President cannot be depended upon to introduce new fashions. The dude was the first to wear pajamas and he was made the butt of jokes, until one night there was a railroad accident, and all the passengers in a Pullman car had to turn out in a field in their night clothes. Every last man with an old-fashioned nightshirt wished that he were dead when he tumbled out of the car, the tail of his nightshirt dragging on the ground and catching on the rail fence he had to climb over, and he was a sight while the dude in his pajamas stepped down to the ground almost dressed for a party, lit a cigarette, and offered to help the ladies as unconcerned as possible, while the nightshirt gentlemen were hiding against haystacks and fence corners for fear the ladies would see them. That was the first object lesson of the benefit of pajamas, and since that time there have been many others, until the pajama has friends in all walks of life, and men are wearing them who formerly scoffed at them. Who it was that invented the long nightshirt for men will probably never be known, but if he is ever identified it will go hard with him. Cases are frequent where a man is placed at a great disadvantage in a nightshirt, but where he would be perfectly at home in pajamas and able to assert himself. When burglars get in a house, the man in the nightshirt though we have a revolver in his hand, is handicapped, because burglars will laugh at him, and knowing that he cuts a sorry figure, he loses his nerve and gets behind something to hide his nightdress. Men have been known to prowl around the house with a nightshirt and a revolver when burglars were due, and frighten the women of the household into fits, besides amusing the burglars whereas if they had pajamas on, they could go anywhere in the house and be respected, and have nerve enough to drive the burglars away, and become heroes in the eyes of those of the family he had saved from robbery, and perhaps worse. 
Another place where the man in the nightshirt does not look his best is when a fire breaks out, and he has to crawl out a window and go down a ladder with the fireman, or slide down a post of the veranda. He would almost prefer to burn to death and be done with it than face a crowd that is always present at a fire, and try to climb down anything in a nightshirt, knowing that it is dead sure to catch on to something and display his limbs to a scared crowd, and make himself the laughing stock of the populace. There comes a time in the life of every man of the house when he has to get up in the night and go down to the kitchen and let the cat that has been howling as though in agonies out the kitchen door to meet an engagement and fill a date with neighboring cats that have sounded the alarm on the back fence. A man loses respect even for himself when he walks down the back stairs in his bare feet and nightshirt, sends the dustpan rolling downstairs ahead of him, steps on a lump of chestnut coal on the floor, and hops on one foot to the door and kicks the cat out into the night. He feels that the cat, standing there in the kitchen with her back up, is frightened at his bare legs with long hair sticking out coldly from the goose pimples, and his nightshirt blowing out behind when the door opens, and he feels that with pajamas he would present a better appearance even to a feline walking delegate. The pajama will save a man from dishonor in case of fire, save his self-respect, and keep the fireman from laughing when he comes down the ladder in a garment never intended to appear in public, or on the rostrum, or the fire ladder, no man of a sensitive nature ought longer to cling to that delusion, the old-fashioned nightshirt, which will never stay buttoned in a crisis or stay down when it ought to by all the laws of nature. So the sun hails the dude and the pajama and thanks him in behalf of men who know a good thing when they see it. THE BOWERS AND THE FILIPINOS when the British run up against the Boers in the Transvaal, it will not be much such a war as that we are having in the Philippines. We are fighting a lot of Negroes who do not know any more about firing a gun than a woman does about throwing a stone. They see our troops moving, and they have one gun to about three or four Negroes, and the first one takes the gun, points it toward where the Yankees are, shuts his eyes, and pulls. There is an earthquake, the bullet goes off somewhere in the country, the man behind the gun is kicked end over end and knocked senseless, and after pouring water on him, the others shake the dice to see which one has the next shot, and the one who throws double sixes loads up the gun and has his inning and gets his kick and rolls over in the grass while the bullet goes off toward Australia and the Yankees keep on coming. Then the third fellow tries his hand, perhaps resting the gun across the bodies of his companions. He pulls and has his jaw kicked around the back of his neck, and there they are. They act like boys going out with a gun, plugging woodpeckers and quarreling as to whose turn it is to shoot, until the woodpecker gets disgusted and goes in his hole to raise a family of young woodpeckers. The first fellow that was knocked silly finally comes too and he shoots the gun, holding the butt against his stomach to save his jaw and shoulder, and his stomach is knocked so flat that it will not hold a kernel of rice unless it is soaked in bilge water, 
but his bullet accidentally hits a soldier and that raises a row. The Yankees have got near enough to fight, and they kill a lot of these amateur soldiers, and finally give a yell and charge them. When one fellow takes the gun and runs for tall timber, another carries the dice box, and a third carries the cartridges, and the chances are the Yankees will pot the whole lot of them and capture the gun. But the British have got a different proposition when they go against Kruger. It will be like fighting a German Schutzenfest, where every man can hit a bull's-eye, or he has to explain why he missed it. Boys ten years old are good shots, and if any boar can shoot better than another, they all get mad at themselves and practice at a mark until they can tie the champion, if not beat him. Almost every man has whiskers like a brush fence to hide behind, and they can shoot as well lying down and resting the gun between their toes as any old way. They don't bunch up so the enemy can take a pot shot at them with a gatling gun, but they scatter and hide behind something, and don't hurry about shooting, but wait until they have drawn a bead on the white forehead of the enemy, and then hold on and smoke smokeless tobacco until the wind gauge shows that all signs are right. When they pull, and there is a sure enough funeral on the other side. Every man has his cartridges counted out to him, and if he does not show a corpse for every empty shell, he has to have an argument with Kruger and explain to the old man why he can't learn to shoot straight, and maybe he is arrested for treason. It is almost treason for a boar to miss when he shoots at anything. The crowd would ostracize a man quicker for missing a man in battle than for stealing a cow, and the only cases of suicide are caused by a man failing continually to hit what he shoots at. A two-hundred-pound boar with whiskers like a bale of hay can lay down behind a wooden shoe and hide himself so completely that an enemy will not see him, and all the time he will be sending soft-nosed bullets where they will do the most harm. They can carry a piece of dried beef or summer sausage in their vest pocket to feed them a week and can climb up the side of a mountain like a goat. And as for sleeping, they drop right down anywhere and never snore at a mark and never take cold and never have a doctor. They don't need any wagon to carry food or camp equipage and can fight on the run or any old way. The Boers do not size up with other soldiers on drill and couldn't form a line for dress parade without having a chalk mark on the ground, and they never have learned any of the intricate movements, and officers do not shout commands in stentorian voices. When they get into camp, an officer says, Well, boys, go and eat yourselves. When it is time to turn in, no bugle sounds taps, but somebody begins to pull off his boots, and that is the signal to retire. In the morning, daylight wakes them up, and when the boots are on, they are ready. When they are placed in position to fight, there are no orders to charge, but an officer says, Now you can shoot, if you see ahead already. And the slaughter begins. Oh, the Boers are no Filipinos, but a regular Schutzenfest. The Soldier with Iron Spoon and Branding Iron there is liable to be some litigation after the Filipino War is over, in which the United States will be sued for damages, 
and international complications may arise that will cost our government a good deal of money. It is all an account of the company cook of a Colorado regiment, a man named Smith. His company was on the firing line, and it was the cook's duty to take dinner out to the boys. He got a couple of camp kettles of baked beans red-hot off the fire and went wading out to the front and finally arrived on dry ground behind the soldiers who were engaged in firing on the Negroes. The cook didn't want his beans to get cold while waiting for the skirmish to be over, so he found a fire that was being used to heat a branding iron to brand some mules, and he put his kettles over the fire and watched the skirmish. He was unarmed and was not expected to fight, but when he saw the little negroes making so much trouble for his company, he was mad and cried to borrow a gun, but could not get one. An officer said they were going to charge the trenches pretty soon, and then after driving the Negroes away they would come back to dinner. The idea of a charge was too much for the cook, an old regular army man, and he was nervous. Finally, the Colorado boys, who had been lying down and firing, raised up and gave a yell and started for the trenches. This was too much for the cook. He seized the iron spoon out of the red-hot beans in one hand, and the red-hot branding iron out of the fire in the other, and away he went toward the trenches. Being a good runner, he passed the soldiers, and before he knew it, he was right in the midst of the scared, running, bare-legged negroes, and when they saw him, they were paralyzed with fear and superstition. He would rush up behind a Filipino, hit him on the back of the head with the iron spoon covered with beans, and when he went down, the cook would take the branding iron and brand an unmistakable U.S. on the broadest part of the person of the black man and rush for another. When one was branded, he would think it was all over with him, and he would lay there on the ground and say his, Now I lay me, in Spanish, or yell bloody murder and place his hand back of him where the branding iron had wounded him, or else he would run faster and get into the jungle. Five of them were captured with a U.S. branded on them, so it will never disappear. And it is said at least a dozen got away with the same marks on them. When the charge was over, the cook went back to his kettles of beans as though nothing unusual had happened, pounded the spoon on a tin pan, and the boys returned, winded from their long run, but hungry and happy. And as the cook dished out the beans on tin plates, the boys laughed at the iron spoon episode. Several of the prisoners were brought up to take dinner with the boys, but it was noticed that some of them would not sit down in the mud and be sociable, and investigation showed that all those who would not sit down were branded, and by all rules of civilized warfare belonged to the United States. They were told the brand on them was a badge of honor that only brave soldiers were entitled to, and that all brave American soldiers were so branded. When told this, the little Filipinos, who had tried to cover up the brands with their breech clouts, were so proud of the marks that they showed them to everybody. Now, when they come to find out the true state of things, they will no doubt begin action in the courts against the government for damages, and charge that such warfare is uncivilized. Some day, when we get Filipino congressmen at Washington, the Turkish bath or the swimming tank may reveal the fact that our statesmen from the Far East are wearing evidences of belonging to the United States, sure enough.
it is possible that our soldiers will be armed with branding irons in the future the colorado company cook is proud of his work and he says he will go into a charge at the drop of the hat if he has nothing but an umbrella to fight with end of section one recording by arnold banner thurmond north carolina